0: I get asked a lot, like, how would someone get into the music industry? How would they transfer in there? And I I literally say funny words, like, just be a dork about it and absorb it. And if you're into something, like, the business side will present itself.
1: Welcome back to Beyond High Street. David Schwab here. Hope you're having a good day. Uh, Today we caught up with Tim Sweetwood. We have had lots of guests on Beyond High Street in the uh, sports community, entertainment community, entrepreneurs, business, tech, finance. We've had few in music, and we've got Tim, and Tim Tim has crushed it uh, in the music field, live entertainment and music, and and you'll hear in the pod we talk about, I'm not actually sure he's a, a music promoter, a music entrepreneur, sounds to me more like he's a live event, live experience entrepreneur, and he's just so happened to use music as the industry to bring it out. Like many and like John Padani last week, he's an incredible innovator and trying to figure things out. And they're building a really smart idea called Innings Festival out in Arizona around spring training with the amount of fans, thousands, tens of thousands of fans that are going to spring training games. But then at 3 o'clock each afternoon, they're looking for something to do and doing midday festivals. Really, really smart. The lessons in, in this podcast are pretty simple. Listening, failing, iterating. Listening to customers, failing by trying to do things at different events, combining those two facets and iterating and changing and doing it again. It's great lessons for everybody, not, if, not just a college freshman, but a 50-year-old CEO. We, we continue to fail, we continue to learn and listen. That's what makes you smarter, and it's cool. Uh, The conversation spans from the time Tim was a bouncer and a bartender at Church Street Bar in Oxford to now being a co-owner and employee of C3 and and a music business and festivals that they're creating around the country every day. Hope you guys really enjoyed the podcast today. Take a listen and share with many. See ya. I think
0: I've been a music guy from the start, even when I was a young kid, and it was always in my heart. But I think that my mind caught up with me a little later in life, and, and when the two came together, that's what allowed me to break into the industry and, and make it a career, really.
1: And what, what was it later in life that all of a sudden, what, what was the passion of music um, as something you, you listened to, but also something that you thought you could turn that into a business or a career?
0: It was really honestly it was the <clears throat> it was the entrepreneurial side of the industry that really drew it to me when i when I graduated from miami i uh, like so many other people, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, so i I took, you know, I went to the job fair, got, you know, talked to everybody and found a job with AT&T as a sales rep, and after about a year and a half or two years with, with that job, it just wasn't for me, and a lot of that was the corporate structure and a little bit day to day in a cubicle and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, when I when I was ready to move on and do something different, my head, my friends, colleagues, everybody was like you're crazy, you should go into music. That's all you're telling us what to do and what to listen to and who to go see and everything like that. So,
1: it's a, it's an interesting point and I don't think you think about it when you're a kid, but you know it when you're older in life and you've been through experiences that, that those jobs and or just passions or hobbies, you're actually, you you go into it and then you rule things out, which will ultimately narrow into what you like to do. And for this, it was corp structure and a cubicle and that side. And you can start checking those things off where I think when you're younger, you, you, your mind says, go find the, go find what I love or go find the passion. Yet you're not old enough to really even know what that means
0: that's right and specifically with music you know it's so readily available to everyone that i think it it's a little subliminal in people's minds especially as a kid growing up as you go to a concert but you don't you're when you're young <clears throat> whether it's a hobby or something you have a passion about you're not analyzing it from a business structure like you are once you get out of school or once you graduate from somewhere. And then I think your mind takes over and and analyzes the the business. I mean, I get asked, I guess I get asked a lot, like, how would someone get into the music industry? How would they transfer in there? And I I literally say funny words like, just be a dork about it and absorb it. And if you're into something like the business side will present itself for sure.
1: Mm. And so while you were being a dork in the music industry, <laughs> while sitting at a cubicle at AT&T, where was, that, where was that job? Was that in Cincy, or where were you? No,
0: that was in Atlanta. Okay. So I, I came back to Atlanta. I was, I, was, uh, I was originally born in Cincinnati, grew up in St. Louis, finished my high school years in Atlanta. So came back to Atlanta to do that, that job.
1: And so while you were sitting in that cube every day, uh, were you what, what were you thinking about? From music or what were you thinking about? Okay, this I'm not long for this job, but my next job, I want to learn what to get out. What do you want to get out of the next job?
0: I wanted to I wanted to get vision as it related to me making a career and making a living and growing and I think that that was really the driving point is like that I think that's why I gravitated to the music is it was able to give me a vision where my head wanted to go and I had a bunch of different facets that, that I quickly got into when I was in the music industry. And that was throwing parties, booking local bands, managing bands, and then taking that to a national bigger level. But I don't think at my previous job at AT&T, I was able to match, you know, the vision like that, that industry and that job didn't allow my, my mind to move in the right direction.
1: So is that literally what you did when you, when you stopped working at AT&T, you kind of we're a one-man shop, just trying to create, just called entertainment-driven um, evenings or late nights or parties, and the, and booking the associated acts that go with.
0: Yeah, that that kind of encompasses all of it. Frankly, is like, you know, it's. The like any job in life, you I feel like you succeed and move forward by incorporating networking into that. Whether whether it is a sales job at AT and T or whether it's the music business business that I got into, so the best way for me to do that was to try to, you know, dip my toe in all the different pieces of that, and that was. Booking bands. It was also managing a band. It was coming up with an event or ideas, or even piggybacking onto someone saying they had an idea for an event, but they didn't know how to put it together, and I was there to do that as well.
1: Yeah, and, and still in Atlanta, were you doing that?
0: Uh, yes, yeah. still in Atlanta, which is not the ideal place to to be in the music industry, but it, it worked itself out.
1: Well, I was just going to ask that. So obviously, music is huge. Was um, that more on the hip hop side of of the industry, or are there other parts of music that are big? Is certainly there's some yeah. that's pretty large in in Atlanta.
0: Yeah, funny enough, there it's Atlanta gets a <coughs> a moniker for. <clears throat> Excuse me. the the music industry is hip-hop, all hip-hop here. And there's a lot of it here, but most of that is from a recording side mm. um, and a producing side. It's not as much from the live side. So with all the events and even small little festivals in Atlanta and all the venues, it's more rock at the end of the day. It's more pop. Mm. It's more R&B. It's a lot of that from a live perspective, and that's what I gravitated towards. So I gravitated. Yeah, I gravitated towards the live piece, and then through different events that were outside of Atlanta, I was able to kind of grow in the different facets from there, and so you know, a South by Southwest music festival was a chance where, you know, as much as that's a bit of a cluster of a, of a music event, because there's so much going on and there's so much space and there's so much clutter, it's hard to stick out, is anybody can go take a part in that. So, you know, more than a decade ago now, I, you know, went there and through day parties and tried to get connected bands and then I tried to invite who's who to those parties and sometimes it stuck and a few people came by and had some success with those and so I was able to grow nationally through that a little bit.
1: Hmm. So I want to stay there on the live piece but go back one more second just curious on the Atlanta on the recording or producing side versus the live is that because that 's where a number of those artists grew up and lived, and therefore that 's where they recorded and and therefore it got the moniker because of that
0: that's it you hit it on the head it's yeah. you know whether it's someone like uh you know outcast or something and got their start here is you don't have the money to travel across to l a and go into an expensive studio in you know l a to go do that. Some people can do that and catch that, but there is that big scene of those guys here and, and unfortunately just like myself or most people in the music industry they, they come from not much or, or no financial backing so they have to deal with the president. so i think you hit it on the head as they there's a lot of studios here that are accessible and they don't cost five thousand dollars a day to rent out you know and they're not in manhattan or in the hollywood hills
1: so. yeah and what did, when you were at south by what did you learn from those day parties uh what do you remember of why the party crushed or why nobody showed up and how much of that was the act or how much of that was all of a sudden the weather that day was 70 and sunny and somebody just walked by my place.
0: I think what I learned and it was a little subliminal again, I think what I learned most from those is what pieces to present in these events and gigs. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. That would really attract people. So whether that was, um, you know, did I have free beers at my party, or you know, for example, I had the Lumineers at one of my parties before. Literally, no one knew about them, but but they were buzzy enough where the the big time people in the industry got word of it. So it was. I learned about what it takes to to draw people into your event. I think that's the pieces that I took away most from doing those day parties mm.
1: well, that's a uh, the marketing aspect and sales aspect that kind of defines it right there in terms of what it takes for a consumer to like engage and convert them to be a, uh, an attendee if something's critical for kind of everything what we do in life
0: one hundred percent i mean the, the the there's another thing when people ask me how do you get into it or or young kids how do you do it? You have to understand that music is a business, just like you know a piece of art and a painting on a wall is a business, and the the quicker you adapt that it's it really is a business and that everything in life is a business, I think you can succeed more. And when I used to manage bands, that was the number one thing that I would ask them the first question. Hey, do you guys realize this is a business? And do you realize I'm going to set it up like a business in the in the background to make it successful? And the people think that it's, you know, just kicking back beers and, and hearing some riffs and all that kind of stuff. It's just they're, they're naive to, to what that is and they won't find success in it
1: what what was the action, what was the reaction from those uh ba- band members when you would share that did they get that some
0: do some don't you know and and i think the ones that didn't that was a that was a red flag for me so mm-hmm. the ones that that did realized like you know hey i could go work with somebody here that's going to help do that business cuz that's not what i'm good at i'm good at making songs or putting on a show mm-hmm.
1: It sounds like with every one of these experiences, a common trait is that you you kind of learn by fire you you seem to be a a self taught go figure it out, see what works and doesn't, and iterate from there is there are there other places where you get that type of inspiration or learning
0: yeah, I mean it's across the board, and then also what you said is is I fail all the time I've failed a ton in the past, and I continue to fail to this day on, on projects or festivals that I produce or create or make. And it's, it's being able to learn from those failures and, and, and do, and, and take it to another level and turn it to that success. So I don't know if I went in a roundabout way, answered that question. for
1: Yeah, me, but no, I mean, that's, it's interesting how, I mean, t- people are different in terms of how they learn. A lot of people, um, figure it out themselves, and that's the entrepreneurial spirit type of person. And others um, pull from other just peers and greatness, or even people they work for. So you know, everyone's a little bit different there.
0: So what, that's what, right. The, the more you listen to people, too, the more you learn, right? So it's like I we listen to. I listen to my customers all day long at a festival, and the crowd's not a hundred percent right, but if the majority's speaking on something, then you should listen.
1: Yeah. And when you were in Oxford, did you did you mess around with that at all? I don't know if we, we didn't really have much a chance to make money throwing fraternity parties. And you kind of just you did whatever the uh, the theme was of the night. But did you do any kind of event producing uptown or internship wise or when you're at school?
0: Yeah, and and again, I I think I was <clears throat> like everyone else, didn't know exactly where I was going, so I was doing it. Uh-huh. a little bit subliminally like I was, you know, I was a, a Phi Delta Theta and I was the, the social chair for years at least a year, if not more, and consulting the next guy that came in and was helping to book some bands and and different pieces like that, but I guess I I was doing it more from just a a true passion and enjoyment as opposed to something that, you know, I should have been doing internships and and should have been doing that, but a lot of that happened naturally. You know, I was, uh, was, you know, a bouncer at Church Street and then became a bartender, (laughs) but then they had never, you know, they had never had bands there, so I set up an acoustic guy in the corner, you know, things like that, you know. So I think again, it's just if we all knew what we knew then, right?
1: Yeah. So. Well, this is when we start dating ourselves because Church Street wasn't even a bar when I was at Miami. So you already, you already <laughs> got me by.
0: Yeah, I graduated yeah. in two thousand one, so in the in the late nineties, it, it was <laughs>
1: life, so. I missed it by a few. And what What else do you remember about Miami? What 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 did that give you that's helped you now, and friends and peers you still interact with, and what you remember about Oxford?
0: I I remember the, you know, I, I remember as much as I can from all the different angles, but I do remember, you know, the social aspect a lot, and the fact that, you know, it even though we were isolated, to me, it felt a little bigger than we actually were for a student body. So, you know, I think you were able to, to find your own ways and bounce around. I mean, I had, a, I had a life within the fraternity, but I had a life outside of the fraternity that was a lot of music and bumming around with friends, and we would go travel on the weekend and, and stuff like that. And then I also remember, you know, from, a, from an academic side, I, I, I wasn't limited um so from that side I remember that. I mean I I was a I was a marketing major and a business law minor and I think the business law minor came around, you know, first semester senior year or something like that. So I remember being able to like continue to just find my way at miami and not being pigeonholed into something and that was you know a little bit of what i had heard before i had gone there is that you know it was it's a little bit black and white there and i don't think that's the truth i think you can kind of find your own way and it's actually a little more diverse than people make it out to be
1: mm. and, and tell me about life now business now um the festival scene and kind of the goals for the next 12 months for you
0: Sure. I mean, the the quick, tiny recap is, you know, I I built my own business entrepreneurially and worked for a couple different companies and venues, and then uh, recently I had, um, about three and a half years ago, I had a company, C3 Presents, Um, purchased half my company, and now now I'm a partner with C3 Presents and also an employee of the company as well. And I've stopped doing uh, what we call in the industry day-to-day and hard ticket shows, and I'm focusing on big events and festivals only. Um, So what I've got going in the next 12 months, for example, is I have a new festival that gets announced about two weeks from now and that's going to be a, a rock and heavy metal festival but then you know I'm already working on pieces in fall of 2020 or spring of 2020 and those that would encompass my day-to-day maintaining some of the festivals and operations that I'm already already working on but it's also creating new brands um, and one of the big one of the big pieces that I've Kind of come up with on my own and I'm sticking to is in a lot of these festivals since the festival scene is so saturated and so thick these days across the country and across the world is I really believe in uh, ancillary elements to all the festivals. So a great example is two years ago I created this um, festival out in Arizona called the Innings Festival and it was basically built on the premise of there's there's hundreds of thousands of people that go to spring training baseball, and once those games are over at 3 p.m., they have nothing to do. So I said, why not uh, create a festival of music and draw some people in? So not only did I create the festival, there's a big, big active piece of baseball combined in it. So this last year when it occurred in the in the first weekend of March, I had uh, player appearances by Roger Clemens and Jake T V and they interact with the people going to the festival and they get to throw a pitch at a, speed, or at, a, uh, at a speed pitch simulator or swing a bat at a batting cage with Jim Tomey and stuff like that. And then when they're done doing that, they walk down and go see Eddie Vedder on a stage or Sheryl Crow on a stage, and we're having some success with combining ancillary elements. In fact, I won't, I won't start a new festival or a new venture without those. Uh, moving forward, I've got one in New Jersey that combines surfing on the East Coast surfing scene. And my new rock and metal one that I have coming is going to have uh, motocross jumps and a, a Cirque du Soleil-type haunted house vision to it. So it's really, that's what the that's what the customers are
1: looking for. And so that's what I'm focusing on is it's not just to go stand in front of the stage. They want to make
0: it a, a 360 experience.
1: Yeah, it sounds... Uh that you're less of a music festival entrepreneur and you're actually a live experience entrepreneur, but you use music as one of the industries to bring it together.
0: I think that's pretty accurate. And I think that the, the music is the best catalyst, right? Because it's, it's the piece that everybody knows. So it's like, whether I'm introducing music fans to baseball or whether I'm introducing baseball fans to music, that, that, catalyst of music and that live performer is something i'm able to like you know stick a flag in the ground and use as the start for it all for sure
1: what what live experiences do you look at and say that they've really figured it out that
0: one's super easy it's it's disney so i'm i'm a i'm a super personal fan of all things disney and I look up to them as a company that I admire and try to connect with them in different ways, whether it's business or whatever, and I just, Disney is far and away the best live uh, experience because they'll take it on whether it's, you know, adhering to someone's culinary you know desires or whether it's riding a roller coaster but then what they do is they bring this service element to it that is you know next to none in fact i try to instill it in my like staff at festivals and everything i call it my disney effect at the festivals so um you know hands down when it comes to that is is disney
1: and and woody if you went crystal ball five years from now where where do live experiences change in a world where we're we're hooked to phones all the time does it make it harder or does it actually make it easier because people are going to there's going to be fewer of these great experiences and the ones that are great will really blossom
0: I think with a little bit of a crystal ball it's a combination of both because i think that the the technology side and the phone and all that kind of stuff is I'm able to reach a customer to get them at my live event, but right now there's no such technology that can bring it into your home or where you're at so that live event for now I it, it's just not going to go away right you can't if you're the if you're the psycho fan and you're you're on the front row of the rail, you can't have the sweat. You know, pop out of your computer screen and hit you in the face of a performer, and you can't have the beer spilled on your shoulder, and 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 you can't experience that. You you can maybe they'll come up with something in the future, <laughs> yeah, but it'll will. be but it, yeah right, but it'll be done by a robot. It won't be done by you know, Axl Rose in front of you on the stage, and that's what like just right now. I don't see a anything in the future that can replace that and that's why that live experience will continue to, to grow or will, someone will want to actually be
1: at it Yeah. and in closing here how about speaking of the phone that's going to have sweat pouring out of it in a, in a couple of years someone will figure it out but how about two or three apps music related apps that uh, people don't know about but that you swear by or you think people have figured out something pretty cool from a tech side
0: from from a tech side or just like that they... No, it, I like guess it
1: doesn't have to be a tech side. Just an app that be, besides... When someone says music, they go their minds go straight to Spotify or iTunes or something like that. Is there another type of um, app that's either a game or a technology or uh, an app that you just use to help you with music and life?
0: You know... Funny enough, I don't. It's still word of mouth at the end of the day. Um, it, it, it really is. I mean, it's like whenever I've found out of anything, it's somebody telling me about it at the end of the day. So there's not, um, you know, these apps like Spotify and everything are great and you can turn on to it. But to me, there's not, you know, for, for the business side of the world, there's not enough time in the day to sit there and explore Spotify for, you know, exponential hours and I wish I could do that but it's still it's still word of mouth at the end of the day and funny enough from a marketing angle for our live events that is still the number one marketing tool is word of mouth so when we get back surveys from festivals and say how many people heard from something and did you see it on a billboard did you hear it in a radio ad did you see it on a facebook or instagram ad the number one the number one still is no my friend Uh, My friend Tim said that, you know, David was going to this event and David knows what he's talking about. So we're going to follow him and, and make sure we go to that event. So at the end of the day, it's funny how it comes back to something that simple.
1: Listening, failing, iterating. Those are the three words that I take away from that conversation. Really smart, Tim. Hey, man, thanks for taking the time. Hope you crush it with this new announcement in a few weeks. We'll make sure to promote it. And keep doing a great job with all the festivals and live experiences you're building for customers and consumers around the country. Uh, Miamians, thanks for listening. Share with your friends. Take a look at the Twitter handle, the Facebook handle. I'll see you guys at Skippers real soon for a cold one. See ya.